If I could read with you out of the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number one, and I will I will be very brief and I'll let you be seated because I know you've been standing for a little while. But I do feel like I have a word from the Lord today. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went up to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of the Lord. That's where the tabernacle was. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought up from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it. For he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. So you got to get a picture here. I want you to see this. The ark of God is in Jerusalem. And the tabernacle of God is in Gibeon. And it says, moreover, verse number 5, moreover the brazen altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered there a thousand burnt offerings upon it. The tabernacle was in a divided fashion. The tabernacle of of Moses was at Gibeon. And there's where the altar was and all the other furniture. The, The tabernacle of David was in Jerusalem and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Solomon goes up to the altar that is at Gibeon. I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about an altar without an ark. An altar without an ark. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much for what we feel in this place. Thank you so much for everything that you have already done. I thank you, great God, you're so good to us. I pray today that you will speak to us out of your word, anoint me to say exactly what you once said, nothing more and nothing less. Take away all of my thoughts, let me only speak yours. And God, speak very clearly to us today, and you'll receive all of the glory and all the honor and all of the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And you can be seated. Let's give ourselves for just one moment. What a great congregation. What a great crowd there is here today. Why don't we thank the Lord for that. And give your neighbor a hand for being here. And as much as I enjoy being around the people of God, I so much more enjoy the presence of God. I love His presence. I'm glad that the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. I'm glad that whenever just two or three of us get together and we begin to, whatever we're doing, Brother Josh, it is uh, unto the Lord. Whenever we gather together, whether it's a prayer meeting or if we're just sitting around fellowship and Brother Pat and we begin to talk about the things of God, I am so glad that when we do that, that the presence of God comes down amongst us. But even more than that, when we begin to worship the Lord, when we begin to give Him praise, the the fruit of our lips, when we praise Him, the Bible says that He inhabits our praises and His presence shows up amongst us. Aren't you glad for the presence of God? Thou wilt show me the path of life, David said. In thy presence there is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. How many enjoy the presence of God? Amen. Uh, The Old Old Testament tabernacle shows us a progression to His presence. 
It shows us that there was the, the entrance into the tabernacle. There was the brazen altar where they would give sacrifice. There was the brazen laver that was filled with water. There was the holy place. And then there was the holiest of holies behind a veil where the presence of God would be manifested in the Old Testament. And only one man once a year was allowed to go behind that veil into the presence of God. But I am glad that when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that whenever He gave up the ghost, that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, signifying that there was a way into the holiest of holies. That it was not just for one man anymore, but it was for whosoever will, let him come. And we could get into the presence of God. Hebrews says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, in His flesh. We can go behind that veil and enjoy the presence of God. I think we should give the Lord a great hand clap of praise because that way is open to us into the presence of God. Well, that tabernacle was... The presence or the, the instructions for that tabernacle were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. That tabernacle was built in the wilderness very meticulously. Everything was put together and uh, every time that the people of God would move, they would pack up that tabernacle, all the furniture thereof, and they would move wherever the cloud of God led them to go. Whenever they made it to the promised land, that tabernacle was pitched in a permanent position. And that's where everyone would bring their sacrifice. That's where on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go behind that veil, sprinkle blood on the, on the altar. I'm sorry, he'd sprinkle blood on the altar, but he'd also sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God would meet him there. And for generations, that is how worship occurred and that's where worship occurred. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there was a battle that happened between the people of God and I believe the Amalekites. And they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle and they carried it out to battle with them. I'm sorry, it was against the Philistines. They took it out to battle against the Philistines and they lost the battle. Because they thought that the presence of God was just some kind of magic charm that would give them victory. The presence of God is not just some kind of magic charm that will give us the victory. The fact was, Brother Matt, that they were living in sin. They were living idolatrous ways. They were committing lewdness in the tabernacle. And they thought, well, we'll just take the presence of God out here with us and God will take care of our enemies. But God had another plan and that was, if you're not going to live righteously, my presence is no weapon for you to use. Just because we call ourselves Christians, if we live sinfully, we can't just say, oh, I'm going to use the name of the Lord and I'm going to smite my enemy. So the ark of God was taken. It was taken to, uh, to uh, the Philistines. The Philistines kept it for a few days until they decided they couldn't handle that anymore. And they, they shipped it back by way of two cows to the land of Judah. And uh, for decades... The Ark of the Covenant was in 
think it was the house of Obed-Edom. Is that right? Or Brother Josh is the scholar on this. He could get up and tell you the story better. And the tabernacle stayed in Gibeon. They would go to the tabernacle. They would sacrifice on the altar. They would wash in the brazen laver. They would go through all the motions, but there was no ark behind the veil. In other words, they went through the religious motions, but there was no power and presence behind what they were doing. We cannot afford to go through religious motions and not have the glory of God. I don't want to pretend, Brother Pat, Nah, we'll just move on. I, I can't. We, we're going to have too long a service. But David understood. We can't have religious tradition and no glory of God. So when David became king decades later, he decided we got to bring the glory back to Jerusalem. We've got to bring the glory back to where it belongs. And so, so he, he made it back. He, he went through some stuff. You can search all of that out. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, David brought the Ark of the Covenant back. He had the priests and they were, they were playing their trumpets and they were beating their tambourines. And I don't know, they might have had a Yamaha or a Korg keyboard. They had it all going on. They, they, they had symbols from Symbol City, Brother Isaiah. They, they had the worship service going on and David danced before the Lord with all of his might because he was bringing the presence of God back to where it belonged. David, high, David had bought a place, uh, Ornan's threshing floor, he had bought a place, he pitched a tabernacle there and he brought the ark back. And I'm telling you what, David forevermore had church. David hired singers and David hired musicians and David wrote songs and, and they had church and they sacrificed and, and they, they, they just had it going on there because they were celebrating the presence of God. And worship was centered there for the remainder of David's life and David's reign. The tabernacle of David, I don't have time to get into it today, but it's a fascinating subject talked about very little in Scripture. We talk about the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we talk about Solomon's temple. But there was a transition piece in there where David's tabernacle was. And Amos the prophet would hearken and say, we are going to see the tabernacle of David restored. And I think that was referring to, we are not going to uh, have all this religious things that we're going to go through, but we're going to see true worship in spirit and in truth restored. And that's where we're living today. Is we we are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And so for the rest of David's life, that's where the ark was. It was there in Jerusalem. David died. David wanted to build God a temple. God said, no, you've been a man of war. You're not going to build me a temple. Your son Solomon's going to build a temple after you pass off the scene. And so David died. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that Solomon strengthened the kingdom unto himself. And then he went to Gibeon. And he sacrificed. Solomon made a six mile journey. That's how far it is from Jerusalem to Gibeon. Y'all okay? Okay? All right. He goes from Jerusalem to Gibeon. Six mile trip from here to Boomer. doesn't seem like a big trip, but if you were riding a camel, it'd be a big trip. It'd be more like from here to Clarksburg. You've got to walk. 
I mean, how many of you here today, be honest, if I said, hey, we're going to go have church in Boomer, but we're all going to walk, how many are not going? <laughs> That's what Solomon said. He said, we're, we're going to go. He, he said, he, he communed with all the congregation. He said, we're going to go up to Gibeon from Jerusalem, and, and we're going to go to the altar of God. And so whoever made it, after he called the crowd a little bit, there were some folks that said, I'll just wait for you to come back, preacher. He made this six-mile trip. Solomon knew where the ark was. He knew it was in Jerusalem. And Solomon makes this six-mile trip. He chose to go to God's altar that was some six miles away from the ark. And if you think you know where I'm going, you don't. I want you to hear me. We look at the altar as the first step toward getting to His presence. It is a price that we pay the altar it's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of repentance. We talk about the altar a lot. But it's a place where we pay a price so that we get a payoff. We go behind the veil and we get His presence. Solomon went to the altar and there was nothing behind the veil. I want you to hear me today. Sometimes, more often than not, I think we view the altar as merely a step that we have to go through to get to His presence. Solomon sacrificed for the sake of sacrifice. He went to God's altar with no other agenda or motivation. He asked for nothing and was apparently seeking nothing. He chose the altar over the ark. He wasn't trying to get to the presence of God. He wasn't trying to get a blessing. He wasn't praising to get a feeling. He wasn't worshiping to get something. He was worshiping because God was worthy. And so my question here today... Glenn Ferris Apostolic Church. I love the presence of God. I love the blessings of God. Don't, don't take what I'm saying and, and interpret something that's different. But why are we always looking for what we can get out of it? Solomon went to the altar and there was nothing beyond the altar. But he said, my God is worthy and I'm going to offer up thousands of sacrifices on this altar just because He's God. If you don't get anything else out of this message today, I want you to hear this. Motivation for worship should be about who He is and not about what we get out of it. I'm not worshiping you today, God, because I want to feel you. I'm worshiping you because you're worthy. be seated. I believe in rewards. The Bible teaches that there are rewards for serving God. Somebody shake your head up and down. There are rewards. 
There's rewards for prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, you enter into your closet. When you shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. I'm glad there's a reward for prayer. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people pray, then I will hear. It's the greatest conditional statement in the Bible. If you pray, He said, I'm going to hear you. So there's a reward for prayer. There's a reward for fasting. He said, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you don't look like you're fasting before men. But you're fasting unto your Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. I'm glad there's a reward for fasting. There's a reward for giving. Bible says that when you, when you give your alms or when you give, do it in secret and your Father which sees you in secret will reward you openly. I'm glad there's a reward for giving. Malachi 3 and 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there shall be meat in mine house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that is too great for you to receive, you won't have room to receive it. I'm glad there's a reward to returning our tithe unto the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.17 that there's a reward for separation and holiness. He says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And when you do that, I will receive you, saith the Lord. I'll be a father unto you. I'm glad there's a reward for holiness. But when we fast, when we give, when we praise, when we live holy, and we only do it for a reward, it's not worship nor sacrifice. If we do whatever we do for God so that we get something back from Him, it's not sacrifice, it's an investment. It's a transaction. I'm doing this because you're going to do something for me. I wish Glenn Ferris Apostolic Church this morning would throw your hands in the air and say, God, if you never do another thing, you're worthy today. I worship you because you're worthy. I worship you because you are. Here's what we struggle with, Brother Matt. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him a few little commandments there and he says, Yeah, I've done that. I'm good to go. And uh, Jesus said, Oh, just one more thing. Just one more thing. Just one more thing. Sell everything you got. Follow me. And it says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. The twelve disciples saw all this going on. They're watching in the background. Jesus having this conversation with this guy telling him, go sell everything. You Just give everything away. Come follow me. Matthew 19, 27, Then Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all. Y'all remember the story. Jesus is walking down the beach. And he, he sees Peter and James, John, he sees these guys, he says, hey, follow me. And it says they dropped everything and followed him. And Peter now says, Lord, we have forsaken all. What shall we have, therefore? That's where many of us, probably every one of us, to some extent, struggle. Jesus, I'm following you. What do I get out of it? 
I've given up this, I've given up this. What do I get? What shall we have therefore? Sacrifice with expectation of reward is not sacrifice, it is investment. It's, it's not worship. And I'd like to spend longer than you want to sit talking about worship. First instance of worship in the Bible. Book of Genesis. Let me just read it to you here real quick. We'll shout in a minute if that's okay. God speaks to Abraham and says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountain which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and he took his sons, he got Isaac and they went. He took his two sons and young men with him and took the wood for the burnt offering. He rose up, went to the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, Y'all stay here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Read the whole story. God never says, Abraham, sacrifice your son and I'll make you rich. God never says, Abraham, sacrifice your son and I'll multiply you. He never says, Abraham, sacrifice your son. I'll give you a revelation like you never imagined. God said, sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to go worship him. True worship is surrender to God with no strings attached. If you're serving God for what you can get out of it, you, you, you might look good, it might feel good, but it's not worship. It's a transaction. I'll scratch your back, God, if you'll scratch mine. It's in the greatest stories of the Bible. Three Hebrew boys... You gotta, hey, hey guys, you gotta bow down when the music starts. You gotta bow down to this, this idol image. And, and, and they said, uh, nah, we're not gonna do that. And the king says, well, who is the God that's gonna deliver you out of my hands? Because if you don't bow down, I'm gonna throw you in the furnace. Who's this God you're talking about? And they look back at the king and say, we're not careful to answer you concerning this matter. Because if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fire furnace. Somebody say, He's able. He's able able to deliver us. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, not, I'm not going to bow down to your God. Our outlook on life, our outlook on worship has to be, I'm going to serve the Lord. He's able to do anything that He chooses. If He chooses, I'll thank Him. If He chooses not, He's still worthy of all of our praise. Praise God. So, so 
So here's the deal. I'm going to fast because He said to fast, not because there's a reward. I'm going to pray, not because there's a reward, but because He said to pray. I'm going to live holy because He said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I'm going to give because He said to give. And I'm going to praise because He's worthy of our praise. I wish I had a whole bag of carrots, Sister Angie. Y'all are like, he took a wild U-turn just now. No, you see, you see that, that uh, you, you can imagine this anyway. See that, that donkey out there and somebody's put a carrot out in front of him. He's going forward to get, to get that carrot. Get that carrot. We don't need to live a life for God where we're just chasing whatever carrot we think God is dangling in front of us. We need to throw the carrot away. We need to throw the carrot away. I don't need a temporal reason to serve Him. I don't need a reward to obey Him. I'm going to serve Him because He's God. I'm going to obey Him because He's right. Psalm 100 verse number 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Put a big old fat smile on your face. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us and not we ourselves. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. In that psalm, there is no mention at all about what what God is going to do for us. It's only about Him. It's all, oh, I wish you'd hear me today. God, forgive us for being consumeristic and transactional in our relationship with You. God, forgive us for praising You for a payoff, worshiping You for a windfall, or giving just to get. God, I want to worship You because of who You are. We should praise Him because of who He is. We should worship Him because of who He is. We should give out of obedience and love and not out of any other motivation because He is worthy. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't you clap your hands and stand to your feet today? God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. Why don't you tell Him that right now? God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. David brought that ark back to Jerusalem and he danced before the Lord. Not because he was going to get something, just because God was there. He's worthy of our praise. Oh, hallelujah. We lift your hands and give him praise today. God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. He said, I would that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Not just on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. Not just when the preacher says to. But every place He's worthy that we would lift up our hands to Him. He's looking for somebody who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Oh God. See, this goes against our flesh. Brother Josh, this goes against our flesh because our flesh is always asking, what am I going to get out of it? Brother Tex, that's not worship. 
That's a business transaction. What would you do if there was nothing else to gain from God? What would you do, Brother Jimmy, if there was no more healing? If there was no more joy? If there's nothing else to attain? What if you had perfect health? Your bank account was full? Your family was all in good shape? What if everything was perfect? What if it was so perfect that you could feel His presence wherever you went? You you didn't have to have the band strike up a song. What would you do? What would you do if everything was... uh, Are are you all with me? Give me 30 more seconds. What would you do, Sister Kathy, if everything was perfect? Book of Revelation, there's a picture of heaven. The four and twenty elders fall down that sat on the throne before him that sat on the throne, and they worshiped him that lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns at his feet, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. When we get to heaven. Sister Martha, you're going to be able to raise both hands. I I hope they both work next week. But I hope hope you you wake up in the morning and everything's all healed up and you can throw both hands in the air. I I hope so. But I do know one glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air coming after you and me Joy is ours to share. Woo! Somebody help me with the next line. What's it say? What rejoicing there will be when the saints arise headed for what? That jubilee in the sky. See, one day, there's going to be nothing more to gain. There's going to be nothing. It's going to be perfect. And on that day, we ought to act the same way we act today, which is we're going to give Him glory. We're going to give Him praise. We can have a jubilee today because He is... Somebody shouted, He's worthy. Say it again, He's worthy. Say it again, He's worthy. Now, in no response to what He may do in the future only because of what He's done in the past and because of who He is today will you just begin to worship Him.